to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. May we bow together a moment of prayer, please. Our Father in heaven, we pray this morning that the Lord Jesus would be honored and exalted. We know that thou wilt share thy glory with no man. And so we just say before thee this morning, to God be the glory. For all the singing, for the impact of these words from the hearts of our choir and young people and the congregation, as we have lifted up Jesus in praise. And now may the Holy Spirit make clear the word of God. May someone who has never been saved come to Jesus today. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I hope you have your Bibles open as we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And I want to read the entire chapter. There are 31 verses. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God which is in Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them who are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, or I of Apollos, or I of Cephas, or I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus, Beside, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be of no effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us who are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? 
For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Gentiles foolishness, but unto them who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, and that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, and base things of the world, and things that are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to nothing things which are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. One of the most powerful books in the entire Bible, penned by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul in response to a church that had every problem a church could possibly have. You name the problem and the Corinthian church had that problem. As we look at this passage, we see first of all the Corinthian church with divisions concerning leadership, divisions concerning morality, divisions concerning the way of salvation, the divisions concerning the Lord's Supper, divisions concerning taking people to law, Christians taking other Christians to law, divisions concerning sins of influence. This is the chapter, this is the book that led Paul to say, if eating meat offends my brother, then I will eat no meat while the world stands. Divisions concerning spiritual gifts. <laughs> while there was a group that got so pious that they started speaking in other languages. As a matter of fact, as you read chapter 12, 13, and 14, it sounds like the other languages here were really some type of ecstatic utterance and they were sort of looking down on everybody else who didn't have that experience and saying we're more spiritual than you are and then they got all confused about the resurrection of Jesus some were saying it's all just some kind of a spiritual spooky thing that there's no bodily resurrection and others were saying no it is a bodily resurrection and they got confused over the offering and Paul had to close the chapter by saying on the first day of the week let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him that there be no gatherings when I come. And then he climaxed the book by saying folks I'd really like to come over there and help you personally. I'm just writing this book to you but I'd like to come and help you personally but I cannot do it now because I'm here in Ephesus and there's a great effectual door opened unto me and there are many adversaries. And so Paul stuck with, the, stuck with the stuff where he was. But he wrote this epistle, 1 Corinthians, to respond to all the problems that were going on in the church of his day. 
Now in this section, we see, and this will be a message of type of a Bible study, and I hope you'll have your Bibles open as we look at this. We see the Corinthian confession, the Corinthian confusion, the Corinthian kerygma, and the Corinthian coronation. First of all, the Corinthian confession. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye came behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In these verses, verses 4 to 9, he speaks in verse 4, of the grace of God, which is the word charisma, which means a free gift. And he emphasizes the fact to the Corinthian Christians that if you're saved, you're saved by grace through faith. It's not something you did to make you saved. You were not saved because you joined that church at Corinth. You were not saved because you were baptized a certain way. You were not even saved because you quit all the mean things that go on in the city of Corinth. You were not saved because you quit, you subtracted yourself from drinking and from immorality and all of those things. Paul says those things didn't save you. You're saved by grace. Look at verse 4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Christ Jesus. And my beloved friend this morning, Salvation is all of grace. It is not part of grace and part of works. You're not saved by grace and then kept saved by the way you live. Someday the silver cord will break and I no more as now shall sing, but oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of my king and I shall see him face to face saved by grace. Are you saved today? I think that's the first question he was putting to the Corinthian Christians. Do you really know Christ? Is that confession real in your heart? And then in verses 7 and 8, he speaks of being faithful. Faithful. So that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is God's will, not only that we get saved by grace, but that we continue faithful to the Lord. God doesn't want us to be up and down people, up one day and down another day, <laughs> like a kangaroo bounding along. We used to sing that song, I'm bounding on, I'm, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. When I was a little boy, I called that the kangaroo song. Now, I love it. It's one of my favorite songs. But every time we'd sing it, I'd think of bounding along, you know, like a kangaroo does. And a lot of times Christians do that. They're up and they're down and they're up and they're down. They look like a kangaroo and walking along. They're up and down and up and down. God doesn't really want us like that. He wants us to just go on going on, serving Jesus, being found blameless before him. Now, note that you're not saved by being blameless. You are declared blameless through the blood of Jesus Christ. And before men, we accomplish blamelessness as we allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify us, set us apart under God to good works. And he speaks of standing before Jesus one day. I don't know of any motivation in the Christian life 
that will motivate us more to godly living, to Holy Spirit-filled living, to personal soul winning, to holiness, than to remember that Jesus is going to come any day. He may come before the service ends. He may come before this day is over. I'm expecting him this evening. If he doesn't come tomorrow morning, I'm going to be disappointed. I'm sure he will come before the week is over, but I want to tell you this. If for some reason or another, known only in the council rooms of God, if the Lord Jesus delays his coming this year, next year, the next year, and on and on and on for 10,000 years, there's still the motivation for us to live a godly, holy life is to look up for our redemption draweth nigh. Jesus is coming. I do not know when. And that was the Corinthian confession, saved by grace, looking forward to the glorious coming of the Lord. This is the thing Paul was setting before those Corinthians. Now I want you to notice the Corinthian confusion. Every time there's a blessing, there are problems that come. You notice in your own life, we live in psychological cycles. Every time there's a great victory, you just watch, there's going to be some kind of defeat along the way. Have you noticed that? Every time payday comes and you have plenty of money to pay your bills, you just watch. The next payday, you're not going to have enough. <laughs> I heard the woman say one day, you know, this is, somebody said to her, this is a beautiful day. She said, yeah, but it's going to rain tomorrow. <laughs> and all too often that's true, isn't it? There are defeats after victories. This Corinthian church was begun. It founded by the apostle Paul. And what a mighty force it began to be. But soon divisions came. And guess where the divisions came? They came over leaders. Some people say, well, I'm of a Paul. Boy, I like the way old Paul preached. He came here and founded this church. And I'll tell you, I shall not be moved. I like the way he did it. Somebody else said, well, you know, we had the eloquent Apollos come for an evangelistic crusade, and I like the way pa Apollos preached. Boy, he could just really orate. He was a great orator. I like the way he preached. And somebody else said, well, I liked Peter, Cephas. He was more like us than anybody else. I liked him. And another group got over here in the corner and said, well, I don't like any of them. I'm a Christian. I like Jesus. And Paul said, folks, that's not the way to be. That's not the way to be. Did Paul die for you? Did Apollos die for you? Did Cephas die for you? And you who are over there in that corner claiming some kind of religious piosity and you're looking askance on everybody else? We have no right, no spiritual way to look down on anybody. We're sinners saved by grace. And our allegiance goes to Christ. Jesus Christ, he's the one I love. I like the little song that says, he's the one I love. He's the one I love. Fairer is he than the lily to me. He's the one I love. Do you love him? Let's say his name, Jesus. Again, there's something about the name. And when we look at Jesus, all the divisions fade away. All of the incongruities fade away because we see in Jesus one 
who touched a blind man and made him well, touched somebody who was lame in his limbs and caused him to walk again. And he found somebody who was out of his mind and touched him and made him to walk and made him sane and whole and clothed. And then you know what he found? He found a woman taken in adultery. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. And he found a woman out of heaven whom he had to cast seven demons. And some of the disciples said, if you knew what kind of woman she was, you wouldn't let her be around you. Jesus said, the one that is forgiven much loveth much. And that dear Mary Magdalene was with Jesus everywhere he went, almost. So you see, when Jesus is the summum bonum of our lives, he's the bright and morning star and the fairest among 10,000 and the lily of the valleys, is he, if he's the one about whom our whole life is shaped, and he's the hub in the middle of the wheel of our life, then we don't look down on anybody. We don't look askance at anyone. We stand before Jesus and say, I am amazed that he could ever love me. So full of sin, so burdened down with pride. I am amazed. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Is that the way you feel? That's what Paul was saying to these Corinthian Christians, divided over leadership divided over problems, divided over things. And then I want you to notice something else in this Corinthian, in this first chapter, the Corinthian karugma. That means the thing that was preached in Corinth. Listen to what it was. Somebody has said, in examining the great sermons of the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, and 10, that the New Testament kerygma, the Christian message, was made up of five specific points. Here they are. Number one, that the great promised time of God had come in the earth. That's the thing they preached. Number two, they preached the summary of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number three, they preached that this was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy and that Jesus the Christ was the Messiah of the Old Testament. Number four, they asserted that Jesus will come a second time. Number five, there was an urgent invitation to repent and to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. Now the Corinthian kerygma included those messages. And listen, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us who are saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. To the Gentiles foolishness. But unto them who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
to the Jews, this Christian kerygma, this Christian gospel was a stumbling block. It is incredible that one who died on the cross should be the Messiah. That's what they said. They didn't believe it. The Jews sought after signs. The Greeks said, why, the whole thing's a bunch of foolishness. You mean to tell me you think that just because a man came and died on the cross and you say he's raised from the dead, that I can take my sins to him and he'd forgive them? Why, that's foolish. That's what the Greeks said. And the Jews said, will you give me a sign? Just give me a sign, give me a sign, give me a sign. They said that all through the ministry of Jesus. And finally Jesus said, well, there'll no sign be given you except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. They weren't even sharp enough to catch on what he was saying so that when he was raised from the dead, they had a hard heart and refused to believe. Listen, dearly beloved, we do not believe the Christian gospel because it is a popular thing to believe. We do not believe the Christian gospel because it promises to make you friends and influence people. We do not take the Christian gospel and accept Christ as Savior and Lord and put our sins upon Him because it's the intelligent thing to do. We do it out of faith. Faith is the victory. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And the kerygma of the Corinthian church was a kerygma of faith. It was preaching faith. Faith. The gospel of Christ begins in faith. It continues in faith. It climaxes in faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Last of all, in this passage, we see the Corinthian coronation. I like that. The Corinthian coronation, Christ is wisdom, Christ is righteousness, Christ is consecration, Christ is deliverance. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty, and the base things of the world, the things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to nothing things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Beloved, the coronation of the Corinthian church was simply to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Not to Paul be the glory. Not to Cephas, not to Apollos, not to the church, but to God be the glory. Now I want to say this in closing. If you could be saved today by quitting your drinking, and we could walk up to you and say, I commend you for quitting your drinking. God bless you. To God, to, to you be the glory. We could say, thank you, you're a good man. There's nothing further from the spirit of Scripture than to say that. If you could have a morality that would earn heaven for you, we could come up to you and say, well, I want to commend you. You quit running around. You quit beating your wife. You quit being a mean, honorary cuss. 
You quit cursing and swearing and swore, snorting and all those things. You're really something. Congratulations. And we pound you on the back and we say, I guess you're good enough for heaven. If that could be said, we'd have to say, to you be the glory. But when you find a man who says, woe is me for I'm undone. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I've seen about God. I've heard about God. And I know I need something I don't have. And I don't have it within me to come up to his measurements. I am weak and thou art strong. I am a sinner. Thou art righteous. And I come to thee confessing my sin. And then God comes in on you. And he just moves in your heart and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin and the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and he begins to give you a ministry inside that says I don't have to go on drinking I don't have to go on cursing I don't have to go on living a low life I don't have to go on in my immorality I don't have to go on living that kind of a life God in me is the hope of glory brother we come up to you and say to God be the glory look what he's done in your life to God be the glory. And the coronation of the Christians in Corinth was the fact that God received the glory and the credit. And my friend, if you're saved today, to God be the glory. If God has given you some victories in your life so that you don't have to live like you used to live, to God be the glory. And if you're looking forward to the promised land, if after just a few more days to sing his praise and to tell the old, old story, you're looking forward to going through the gates to glory when we stand there in his presence, unashamed, we'll stand there saying, to God be the glory. That in the earth, no flesh should glory in itself, but in Christ, in Christ. Beloved, is that your faith? Do you have the faith of the Lord Jesus so that in Christ is your glory? In Christ is your hope. In Christ is your forgiveness. In Christ is your cleansing. In Christ is your victory. The victory in Jesus then becomes a reality. And we can say from our hearts, O oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me long before I knew him. With his precious blood, he cleansed me. He plunged me to victory beneath that cleansing blood. Is that true in your life? It can be today if you will receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Let's pray together. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please, for just a moment. Our Father, we thank thee for the excitement of knowing that Jesus is the one worthy of, forgive, of, of glory. That our forgiveness is only because of Jesus. That our cleansing is only because of Jesus. That we can enjoy singing only because of Jesus. We can enjoy the fellowship of believers and the fellowship of looking forward to heaven because of Jesus. And we give you the glory and the honor for it all. Have thy way in this closing moment of the service today. In Jesus' precious name we ask, amen. Will you stand, please? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. 
listen carefully to the invitation with no one walking around, moving around, going out. This is God's invitation. The service will be over in a moment. I want to ask you to just remain right where you are and do not move. Don't go out the door. Now God is speaking to you. If you're here today without Jesus, you've never been saved, then I want to ask you this morning to come to Christ just as you are. Just as you are. Don't try to get one whit better first. Just come like you are. But be sure you come to Him. Not to some emotional experience, not even to some church, and certainly not to a preacher, but come to Him, to Jesus. Meet Him at the foot of the cross and say, I put my sins over on Jesus today. By faith, I receive the living Savior into my heart, and I want to confess Him as my Lord. If you'll do that, Jesus will save you. And I want to ask you, if you're willing to trust Christ as your Savior and to confess Him openly, to get up and come, stand down here at the front. I want to have a word of prayer with you, show you from the every head bowed and eyes closed for a moment how many in this auditorium can say this morning preacher I'm already saved Jesus is in my heart and I'm thankful I'm a Christian if you know that's true lift your hand real high as a testimony of that thank you hands down 
our eyes still closed and heads bowed, how many this morning would say, Pastor, I've never really been saved, or to my knowledge, I'm not really a Christian. I would like to be a Christian. Pray for me. Would you slip your hand up and hold it a moment and then take it back down? Is there somebody? I'm not saved. As far as I know, I need Jesus as my Savior. Remember me in prayer. Would you slip your hand up and hold it a moment and then take it down? Is there another? God bless you. Anyone? Yes, God bless you. Is there another? Pray for me, please. <clears throat> Is there another as we wait just a moment? All right, we're going to remember you in prayer right now. And I want to ask you as we pray, if you would just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. If I've never been saved before, I call on Jesus to save me now. I give you my heart. Would you do that? Pray this simple prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, standing here at the Glendale Auditorium this morning, I realize I need Thee. I earnestly repent of my sins and I turn to Christ. In Jesus' name. Friend, if you prayed that, God heard you. We're going to sing, ask the choir to sing another stanza in a moment. This is just especially for you. The invitation will be over. Would you come to him now? Our Father, help these who lifted their hands and some others to whom thy spirit is speaking to come now. And oh God, in this closing moment, may there be victory in Jesus. We pray in his name. Remain in prayer, please, while the choir sings. This invitation stanza is for you. Would you step out for Christ right now? God help you to do it.